dream big. That thing that you want to do to help others, that itch, that's God's proof to you. Fear has a very concrete power of keeping us from doing our purpose. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Well, hey, Mountain. Glad to be with everyone at each of our campuses today. And if you're joining us online, welcome to you as well. This past week, I took a little excursion and it gave me a powerful change of perspective. Take a look. Well, if you look around, you probably figure out where I am. You might recognize some of these landmarks. I'm actually downtown Bel Air, Maryland. In fact, I'm right outside the Bel Air Volunteer Fire Company. I want you to meet some of the guys, so come on. So here I am with Bill and Bill. Try to keep up with the names, it's kind of complex. But Bill and Bill, you guys are volunteers here with the Bel Air Volunteer Fire Company. Got it right there on the hat. Bill, you've been here 45 years or so, man. Going on 40, just my 45th year. And, uh, and you're just a new young punk around here, I'm sure, compared <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hey, we just, on behalf of the whole Mountain family and our whole community, we just want to say thank you to you guys for what you do and the service you provide to the community. You keep us safe. You're always there. You're always on. And you and the 100 or so others that volunteer here just to help this community, we just want to say thank you. We really, really mean that. You guys do a lot of important work. Did you get a lot of, I bet you get a lot of calls. How many calls do you get on an average year? Uh, this past year we ran a little bit over 2,500 fire calls and over, well over 8,000 EMS calls, which then it keeps steadily going up. But so of the 2,500 fire calls, there's not that many of them that are real fires. Not, not, you know, like compared to Baltimore City. But out here we have a lot of what we call smells and bells, automatic alarms, you know, smoke detectors going off, odors that that get people, sometimes people call and they think they, they smell CO. You really, the CO is very dangerous, but you don't smell it. It has no odor. What are they smelling but, instead? Well, we've even had like a cat litter box. That's what, what we just uh, termed an ammonia smell. Come on, are you serious? People are calling you because of their cat? I know the cats are a problem. You ever get a, you ever get a call like for a cat up in a tree or anything like that? Oh, we used to uh, now every once in a while, but that's very rare. We, we don't hardly Listen. get those anymore. You don't have to respond to those calls. I don't think that's I don't think that's a waste of your time, frankly, if you ask me. Hey, so seriously, you guys get a lot of important calls, serious calls, and there's fires, and you guys go in where others run out. And sometimes you got to get up high into a building or reach across to a burning building, and I guess that's where this bad boy comes in, huh? It's a 100-foot aerial platform. This thing we call the bucket, huh? A lot of people call it for the platform as a bucket. Bill, uh, can I go up in this thing? Sure. First, we got to have to with a ladder belt. A ladder belt? Well, first, let me ask you a few questions. You know how to steer this thing? Okay. Use it like a video game? Sort of. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So, good. We're ready to go up. Let's do this.
Okay, we're moving on up. Hey, look at this. Here we go. Wow, this is so cool. I mean, you can see for miles and miles and miles. And what's crazy is that all this stuff was here before, I just couldn't see it, right? Because back down at street level, you know, your, your, your mind and your eyes, they just focus on what's right in front of you. All you can see is what's across the street or just a little bit, right? Your vision is limited, but, but when you get up in the bucket, oh my, everything changes. It's like a whole new world, your vision expands and enlarges it's the same world you just it just looks completely different and friends I, I really believe this is exactly the kind of thing that God wants to see happen in our lives to sort of like get up in the bucket so we could see things from God's perspective to, to widen our vision to make it bigger to to be able to see further down the road into the future of what he really intends to unfold in our in our lives to help us maybe see what I would call the God dream that he has for your life, for your family, for your impact, for your small group, for, for our church and your part that God wants you to play in that. Because sometimes, just like here today, we get so locked in on the things right in front of us. We lose our imagination. We forget to dream. We forget to kind of stay in touch with the dream that God plants in our hearts, don't we? I believe God wants us to dare to dream. To, to dream God's dreams, to ask God, what do you see? What do you see for the world? What do you want in this community? What do you want in my life and for, for our church? Not talking about your dreams or my dreams or the American dream even, but really just how could we open our hearts and our minds to dare to dream some God dreams? But you gotta get up in the bucket for that, right? I mean, you, you gotta be able to hear from God. And I know sometimes getting up in the bucket's a little scary. Like this is scary right now, I'm not gonna lie. But you know, anything worth having in life doesn't come, doesn't come without risk, doesn't come easily, doesn't come cheap or free. And that's what we're gonna be talking about over the next few weeks. So I hope you're ready to dare to dream a little bit. To dare to dream that there's more for what God intends for your life. To dare to dream about what God might want to do through this church and your part in it. To dare to dream about whatever adventure that God has next in store for you and for all of us. Let's dare to dream a little. Can you relate to that experience? Getting bogged down in the daily grind and the focus on stuff in front of you things so that you just lose sight of your dreams. Over the next few weeks and really beginning right now in these moments, I, I really want to invite you to do what I did in, in that uh, fire truck, and that is to get up in the bucket and really look at your life from God's perspective and let God show you something. Let him transfer something from his head and heart about what he sees to your head and heart, because that's, that's what we mean by God dream. And when you start seeing and wanting and working towards something that God cares about, that's a God dream. And God's given every one of us the ability to dare to dream like that. And those dreams, they're very, very powerful. They're, they're like an engine that, that just fuels 
uh, our hope and carries us along till we arrive at a new place that we've never been before. And it all begins with a God dream. So what's your God dream? Can you name it? 1789, there was a Christian man, William Wilberforce, and he was so bothered by what he had learned about the inhumanity of human slavery. It didn't match with what he knew uh, God had said about the dignity and value of every human being. So he, he dared to dream of overturning that huge economic and social construct of slavery. And one day he stood before the British Parliament and he laid out a vision crying out for a day when men and women and children would no longer be bought and sold like farm animals. And then he fought for it for 18 years, tirelessly working this campaign against slavery, against terrible opposition as well. But finally, it was 1833, just four days before his death, Parliament passed a bill completely abolishing slavery, and the door began to open to a whole new world that began with a God dream. In the 1940s, a young Christian man named Billy Graham had a crazy dream. He and a few college buddies, they, they wanted to get the word out about Jesus to as many as they could. Everyone preached in churches in those days, but he envisioned a packed stadium where people far from God could hear the good news of Jesus. And they said he was crazy, that it was too secular, it would never work, but he dared to dream anyway. And he started running out stadiums and people filled them. And then he used technology and people listened to the good news that way. And, and you know what? Today, over 250 million people have heard Billy Graham preach live. And over a billion people have heard him on TV or radio with untold numbers who've devoted their lives to Christ and have their, their eternal lives and their destinies changed because of a God dream that was planted in some college kids. So when you look at some part of the world, your life or your family, your neighborhood maybe, and you see that something isn't right. It's not the way God means it to be. And you have this, like, holy discontent about it. And you have an idea for what you believe God might be calling you to do about it. That could be your God dream. If you look at your life and your world the way God sees it, from up in the truck, what do you see? <laughs> I've seen at least three problems with God dreams as I've experienced them in my own life and as I watch them in others. And the first is that very often our God dreams are just too small. I like what Dave Attell says. He says, my gym has two pound weights. He says, if you're, if you're using two pound weights, how'd you even get the, the, the door to the gym open? I mean, what's your dream to bulk up and then open your mail? <laughs> We don't dream big enough sometimes. We shrink down our expectations to what we think we can manage in our own strength. And so I, I feel like sometimes we don't even believe in miracles. We, we don't want to aim for anything that might be hard. Or we shrink God down to some manageable God who's just like us. And therefore we don't think he can do very much. So I'll just settle for a mediocre marriage. I'll just get, I, you know, I'm just too busy to get involved in ministry. I'll never amount to much. We can't make a difference. Why bother trying? Sometimes even in ministry, we end up kind of setting goals for what we think we could accomplish. But a God dream says we're going to aim for something so big that if God isn't in it, we're bound to fail. When our dreams are too small, 
it means your God is too small. And that's not a God dream. Second, a lot of dreams are just too self-centered. I mean, they aren't really a God dream at all. It's really sort of our dream, your dream or mine. And it's easy, isn't it, to get swept along in the current of our society, which kind of tells us what our dreams should be, to make money or to live comfortably, to be successful, to experience pleasure, to be happy, to have a nice house and to go on good vacations and all this sort of thing. Those may be good things, and God loves to bless us sometimes and lavish us with all sorts of lovely things, but but they aren't really God dreams. Those are more like the American dream. And we just sort of expect God to support it. And sometimes, honestly, it's just self-centered wishes that we expect God to deliver to us. When your best energy is spent trying to get God to do what you want, that's not a God dream. Third, some people just really don't have any dreams at all. I mean, they just kind of look at life like, it's just little old me. I don't have any big dreams. Sometimes people just are empty kind of bumping along day to day without much thought, like living like there was a script handed to them and there's nothing they can do, like we're part of some fatalistic predetermined play, right? Get up, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, do it again, retire, die. That's not a dream. If you want your soul to come alive, it needs a sense of direction. It needs a mission. It needs a purpose that's bigger than you. And if we leave our souls alone without a God dream, they tend to become aimless, kind of like slugs crawling around on the earth, but without any particularly high aspirations. So Mark Twain was dead on right when he said, the two greatest days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. We want to lean into why God put each of us here. What's the dream in his mind or heart as he looks at the world and then looks at your life? Because a God dream will grip your heart. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial down in D.C. and he painted a picture with words, didn't he? He, when he? When he spoke of a world without hatred, a nation that wouldn't be torn asunder by prejudice and racism. Everybody knew that he was tapping into a dream that was more than just his dream, more than a dream that a bunch of people on the mall resonated, but it was a dream close to the heart of God. It was a God dream. In fact, he said those great words, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And he died in pursuit of that dream. But the vision lives on. And while we know so much progress has been made, that dream drives us forward because there's a long way to go yet, isn't there? Some dreams change the world. But if you have a God dream, the first thing it does is change you because <laughs> it gets inside of you and, and, and you see the world differently from up in the truck. You, you, you care with God's heart in a different way because of this dream. And it's, it's something that you can get passionate about. Like Jeremiah in, in chapter 20, verse 9, when, when God put his word inside of Jeremiah, he said, it's burning in my bones. I can't hold it in if I tried. In fact, that's why Martin Luther King Jr. said, if you've not found something you're willing to die for, you really don't have something to live for. So 
Are you ready to dare to dream if that's what it means? Are, are you ready to ask the question, what if? What if? Well, let's talk about that because often when we ask that question, what if, it's kind of really asked out of fear. Like we're shrinking back and saying, oh no, you know, what if this relationship doesn't work out? What if I get sick and die? What if nobody likes me? What if I fail? What if I don't have enough money? You know, what if, what if, what if? It's the question of fear and, and, and worry, and it erases Jesus out of the equation. But here's a question for you. What if we changed our what ifs? What if the words what if didn't point to our fears, but to our faith? What if the words what if weren't about our inadequacies and our shortcomings and our failures, but about God's power and His ability to do anything He wants? What if? What if we turned it around so that the what if opened us up to the possibilities of what God might do? What if? What if God showed up in my marriage? What if I truly surrendered my habits to Christ and His power? What if we dreamed big for what kind of impact we're called to make? What if my kids had a change of attitude? You see how different it is? What if God is calling you to do something that you've been afraid to even think about, but you realize that if He calls you to do it, He's going to equip you to do it? What if you weren't afraid? What if you totally trusted God? What would you do? What if the only thing holding us back from an incredible God dream is our own lack of faith? <laughs> what if? When you come at Jesus with a what if that's full of fear, he always changes it around to a what if that's full of faith. Lazarus is dead, they said. What if you had come when we asked you to, Jesus? Maybe this wouldn't have happened. But then Jesus showed up and he called into that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And there came Lazarus out of that grave, fully alive again, peeling off grave clothes. And they started to say, whoa, what if Jesus can do anything? What if he's more powerful than death? And that's when they began to dream God dreams. And that's when you will begin to dream God dreams, when you let Jesus turn your fear what if into a faith what if in what Jesus can do. One time in the middle of a ministry tour, there's this story that should really get our attention. Jesus was moving all around, and he, he finally goes back to his hometown where he grew up. You probably know that's the town of Nazareth, right? He's teaching at the local synagogue, and everybody's amazed and astonished. His teaching is so solid and good, and they're just kind of getting swept along with him the way everyone else did. And then all of a sudden, they stop, and they get cynical, and they say, wait a second. Isn't this our little Jesus, the little guy that grew up here, Mary's boy? Wait a second. This is the carpenter's son. We know his brothers. We, we, we were just talking to his sisters in the market yesterday, yesterday you know. Where, where does he come up with all this power? I mean, this is just Jesus. And they got all offended, and they wrote him off. And then Jesus says these words. He says, you know, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown. <laughs> he says in verse 58 of Matthew 13, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Wow. That verse should haunt us because it reminds us that, that we are sometimes the biggest limit to what God will do 
through us. Jesus shows up there, ready to do amazing things. But he ends up walking away without doing much of anything. He doesn't unleash power in and through their lives. Why? Because he didn't have the power anymore? No, no. He was doing miracles all over the place. The reason he didn't do miracles in Nazareth is because the people thought they knew him so well, they just weren't very impressed with him anymore. They had Jesus in a nice little box. And folks, we've got to be so careful here because I think it'd be very easy for us to be the same way. I mean, we can be so casual and familiar with Jesus that we don't really find ourselves very impressed by him. We're just very comfortable around him and no longer sort of filled with this holy expectancy that says, Jesus is going to do something amazing among us. When Jesus saw how they thought about him, he headed for the exits. And I think that's still what he does in anyone's life who wants to live a safe, predictable, look good for the neighbors Christian life. If that's all you want, go for it. And Jesus is going to let you. But don't expect any amazing stories or miracles. Don't expect a big God dream to come true. Don't expect to experience the joy of like being caught up in what God is doing in the world because you're getting exactly what you want, a safe, predictable life like the people in Nazareth. I don't, I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to be part of a church where, where Jesus looks and sees a lack of faith and so he just moves on. He's going to say, why would I want to hang out there? I want to go be with some people who are hungry and expectant and who are ready to say, Jesus, we believe you can do anything. Do something here in our town, our world, my life, our church. So that we can pray that prayer right out of Ephesians 3 that says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. I think that Mary understood that. God sends an angel messenger to Mary, remember? To tell her she's going to have a baby without having relations and, and that he will be the son of God, the savior of the world. And she's blown away. She's scared. She's unsure. She's wobbly in her faith. I mean, can she dare to dream such a thing? But the angel reminds her, we're not talking about your dream, Mary. It may not be what you had in mind at all. We're talking about a God dream here. What I need you to do, Mary, is to get on board with it. Sometimes God's up to something, but he needs our cooperation if he's going to do it. Luke 1, verse 37 and following says, nothing will be impossible with God. And when Mary heard that from the angel, she said in verse 38, yes, I am a servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me according to your word. Friends, listen, nothing's impossible with God. And Mary said yes. And that's what God is hoping that you will say as well, that you'll recognize nothing's impossible. And if it's God's dream, it's going to happen. But he's hoping and needing you to say yes, to say, God, I want your dream to be my dream. Do something through my life. What if you dared to believe that your life could really be something more, something caught up more into the center of God's purposes? Each of us has a choice to either be like the people of Nazareth who didn't really expect Jesus to do anything special, and he didn't, 
or to be like Mary who said, yes, I trust you. It's not what I expected, but I'm going to dare to dream. So let me take you back where we started. Can I challenge you to name a God dream inside of you? To name something that God has called you to dream about, to care about, maybe to do something about. Maybe it's something you've been kind of afraid of or too comfortable to do anything about, but in the back of your mind, it's there and God's been speaking to you about it. You know, one of the saddest things is if a person would go to their grave with dying dreams hidden inside of them, like like pushing it down like a beach ball. It's exhausting. Just let that thing rise up to the surface and trust God. And keep asking these questions. What if Jesus is calling me to something more? What if the only thing holding God back is our own lack of faith and smallness of vision? What if? So, God dreams are intensely personal sometimes, but they're not just individual and personal. They're also something we receive together. They're they're corporate. So over the next few weeks, we're going to unveil and roll out a brand new, fresh God dream vision for Mountain Christian Church. It's something that God's been cooking up in like a crock pot for a year now or more, and it's time to serve it up and share it and let it get inside of us and light a fire in our, in our bones. And so we're all kind of able to work together towards some big what-if God dream for this church and then discover how each of us has a meaningful place within that God dream. So it started over a year ago. The elders and the leadership team began a process of prayer and discernment because we wanted to like get up in the bucket, if you will, and kind of see out into the future with God's eyes to discern as best we could what we felt God was saying to us about what we should focus on next. Because this is Jesus' church. So we want to do whatever we can to bring it in line with what he wants his body to be and do here. So we prayed for guidance. We read a book. We read a bunch of articles about vision. We... we um, we tried to pray about this. We, we had meetings about this. We talked. We prayed some more. We had a weekend retreat. We brought in a consultant. We did all this stuff and a bunch of exercises to try to get to, to some clarity. And we did. We got to some unity and some clarity around the things that God was saying to us. We began to write them down. We tweaked it, revised it, until over a period of months, we finally got to the place where we, we felt like this is a God dream for us to help aim us for the next several years as we fulfill our mission of making more and better disciples. What does our vision look like? Well, we're going to roll that out over the next few weeks. I want to give you a quick overview right now. But first, I want to help you understand the way that God gave this to us. It was right out of Scripture. At the time when this began, our elder team was kind of ruminating, living in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. And when we got to the middle section of Isaiah, we felt like God was speaking right to us. Isaiah, you might know, is, is a, a, a prophet book written about 700 years before Jesus, and yet there's this beautiful, compelling portrait that is really talking about Jesus, God's Son, who would show up one day. And so we, we, we noticed in Isaiah 53, chapter 53, it, it really seems it's all about Jesus who one day is going to come to fulfill God's promises. But it says he's going to do it in a way that would shock and surprise everyone. When Christ comes, he's not going to be what everyone expects, Isaiah says. He's not going to look the same. He's not going to act the same. But the bottom line is, by his wounds, 
we are healed. And when we read that, we thought, you know, this is a word for us because that's how Mountain is called, to, to help people meet the real Jesus. And when they do, it's almost never what they expect. Jesus always meets people around here in ways that are is shocking. We do church differently. But at the end of the day, it's his wounds that bring healing to so many. And so that was Isaiah 53. It began to really speak to us. We began to think. We noticed over in Isaiah 55, uh, is also all about Jesus. And it says things like, come all who are thirsty to the waters. And it, talk, it picks, pictures people who are hungry for truth and for hope and for love and for meaning in life. And they're seeing that nothing that the world offers satisfies. And so it's this invitation. It says, come if you're hungry. And it doesn't matter if you don't have any money and you can't pay at the market. We'll give free wine, free milk, free bread for everyone. It's all good. It'll satisfy your soul in the deepest way. And it ends by saying, you know, don't waste your life on that which doesn't satisfy. We hear that. We're like, that's us. That's what we feel like God's called us to do at Mountain. It's like talking about Jesus and how so many people need him because they're wasting their lives on stuff that doesn't satisfy. And our message at Mountain is all about that, helping people satisfy their deepest longings and welcoming people who have nothing to bring. No perfect people allowed around here. Just come empty-handed, be clueless, be desperate, doesn't matter. Just come hungry and Jesus can provide what you're looking for at the deepest, soul-satisfying way. So you see, we had this kind of aha experience where chapter 53 and chapter 55 was kind of all about what we're about. And then we we noticed that sandwiched right in the middle in Isaiah 54 was something that was so poignant and perfect. It's where we actually drew our vision from. In Isaiah 54, God's people had been previously kind of living in all their glory and thriving, but then they had slipped and drifted off a little bit. And, and now in a period of discouragement, they begin to wonder about their future, if God's favor had been removed or just what's going on. And we kind of resonated with that a little bit because for so many years mountain had been blessed beyond measure in so many ways by God and then for a while it seemed like we had tapered and flattened out a little bit in our growth and our fervor and we kind of just knew we needed a fresh outpouring from the Lord of direction and focus and blessing so we could see more fruit again what's next God was our question and then Isaiah 54 just as God reassured the people then with these words saying I I'm not done with you I'm going to do amazing things through you. So get ready and hold on. We felt like that was God's word for us. So my mountain friends, as we prepare for our 200th anniversary in the year 2024, we believe God is giving us these words as a promise of his desire for our next era of ministry, specifically Isaiah 54, verse 2. Here's what it says. Make your tent larger. Stretch your tent curtains further out. Do not hold back. Spare no effort. Lengthen your ropes and strengthen your stakes by pounding them in deep. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Do not be afraid. You know, the image of tent in the Old Testament world was not just your home. It was like the size of God's blessing and goodness in your life, right? And so if your tent was enlarging, it meant God was telling you to prepare for good things that he was sending. And God's saying, expand your territory, not in a way that's talking about conquest or domination, but we felt it was a way of him just envisioning a wider area and a larger number of people 
who would come under the canopy of God's good blessing through Mountain and its people. So we want to extend that banner of God's love over as many people as possible. God is calling us to dare to dream again by enlarging our tent, stretching, strengthening, and spreading. Stretching, we're going to stretch our faith around here. We're going to stretch our hearts and our hands toward more people than ever before. And we're going to strengthen our body, our church, as we move everyone toward the core of who Jesus is, everyone taking a step of maturity. And then we're going to spread God's blessing by expanding our impact from Rosedale to Rising Sun. Because, you know, God has placed us right here in a, in a mission field. It's the dense, most densely populated part of the country with the highest percentage of unchurched anywhere in America. And Harford County is the highest percentage of unchurched anywhere in Maryland. It, it's, a, it's an area with tremendous need. And, and God's not okay with that. You know, he sent his son, Jesus, who's, who came to say, I, I came to seek and to save the lost. And he has an ache for each person who's far from him. And as the body of Christ, we're sent on that same mission. Our mission of loving and, and, and longing to see God's kingdom and, and launching mission-driven disciples now has this new, fresh expression so that by the end of 2024, when we're 200 years old, we believe that God is going to raise up 12,000 people here gathered across six campuses including Mountain Online, as well as five new regional church plants. But it's not all out there. It's, it's getting strong internally, everyone taking a step, moving closer to Jesus. And we're going to unpack all that and see how it breaks down in the next few weeks so you can see what it means for each one of our lives. Bottom line, we're daring to dream that God is up to something. We want to say yes to whatever it is, which means every one of us is going to need to get ready to stretch our hearts and our hands and our faith for more people than ever with the love of Jesus. Strengthen our core, every one of us taking our steps toward Jesus, and then spreading, getting ready for new campuses, where they're going to go, new churches, where they're going to go, new small groups, where they're going to go. Stretch, strengthen, spread. What if? What if God did something so amazing around here, so crazy, so fun, so outrageous, through you and through me, through this church that we just had to sit back and almost laugh and say, wow, only God, because it's immeasurably more than we could have asked or imagined. Imagine the stories we'll tell. If just like Mary, we can say, yes, Lord, I want to be part of your dream. As we close, I want to tell you maybe about the most important part of this vision right now and ask every one of you to do something this week and really over the next few weeks. Because before we launch off into any new vision, on behalf of the elders of this church and the staff of this church, I want to call us to prayer, to humble ourselves before God, and to say we want to offer ourselves to you, God, for your dreams to be done in our midst. When the children of Israel were about to cross over into their dream, the promised land, this new place, exciting and full of vision, their leader Joshua said to them, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. That word consecrate simply means 
to set yourself apart for God's purposes, to devote yourself completely to the Lord. Say, here I am. I'm yours. Clean me up. Use me however you want. And this is what we need to do too, because we believe God's going to do great things tomorrow, but it means we need to consecrate ourselves today. And that's our one job, is to prepare our hearts for what God's going to do. He's going to be the one who does it. He's going to serve up a big old beautiful meal to the world through mouth, but he doesn't want to do it on dirty plates. So let's consecrate ourselves. And in these weeks, as we're talking about vision, and in all the weeks between now and Easter, let's make it a special a special focus in our prayers to say, Lord, we consecrate ourselves to you. Lord, we want to offer ourselves to you. Let God deal with hidden sin in your life. Let him drive out some of the immaturity. In you. Let him increase your devotion. Step up your service. If you're in a rooted group, let that be a time of consecration. If you're serving in ministry, make sure that's an act of worship to God. So we're praying as staff and elders and inviting the entire church, all of y'all together. Let's, let's offer ourselves in these prayers of consecration between now and Easter. Shall we do that? I'd like to invite you to pray right now with me. I'm going to uh, lead us in a prayer of consecration. I'm just going to invite you, just kind of, will you sit up in your seat a little bit and maybe take a, a breath in, represent maybe inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. And um, if you want to open your palms on your hands as a way of offering yourself to God and receiving whatever gifts He has for you, do that as I just offer these words of prayer and consecration. You ready? Let's pray. Lord God, we praise and thank you for being faithful in the past and for being with us every step in the present and for promising us a future that's beyond what we can ask or imagine. Fill our hearts with your God dreams, your God dreams for our lives and our families, for your church and your kingdom. Because, Jesus, you specialize in doing what some think is crazy and impossible. Teach us to dare to dream with you like that. Help us to stop playing it safe and running toward comfort. Spirit, disturb us enough so we will take the risk to pursue God dreams. We want to see you do great things through us tomorrow. So we come humbly before you to consecrate ourselves today. We repent before you, asking you to cleanse us of all that's impure and unclean, purify our hearts, intensify our passion, clarify our purpose. Forgive us for holding back and clinging to our sin. And in the place of all of these things, fill our hearts with your love. Infuse us with your courage so that we might be fully devoted and dare to dream whatever you want to do in our lives and through your church. We've just got one life to offer you, Lord, and so here it is. Whatever you want to do, do it. Amen. So awesome to be part of a community.